This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. The home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. The Broken Meeple, Season 2, Episode 9, Scalping. Nice little quick episode for you today. I've got a birthday meal to head out too soon. Yep, I'm getting older. But for now, I've got a couple of games to talk about from a recent gaming weekend I did back in late March. And also, I want to tackle the controversial topic of scalping. Hello, welcome. It is far too sunny on this day, the 2nd of April 2017, to be recording a podcast. Sadly, I do need to get a podcast out, so therefore I'm going to get it out racing quick so that I can get on with things like running to the gym in this nice sunny weather. Seriously, it feels a bit wrong to have this darkened vampire-like cave where I can record this with the best soundproofing possible. Generally, things are going fine, jobs going well, gaming's still happening, there's a lot of conventions on the horizon, you know, UK Games Expo in May, StabCon next weekend actually. The video is still coming along, I just want to get it, you know, nice and sorted before I get it going. I don't want to just settle for second best when I finally start doing the video, but it is still happening. I am still tinkering with the controls and the equipment, I'm having to wait for stuff to get delivered, you know, cables, etc. It all takes time. Other than that, um, my girlfriend and I sadly split, you know, it, you know, just one of those things I won't go into detail. It was, uh, you know, it was amicable, shall we say. And, you know, but I'm back on the single track and just basically getting on with playing games and getting through life. Pretty easy going. So, without further ado, I want to get on with today's episode. Firstly, I was very kindly invited by a chap on board game trading called Alex. I'm not going to pronounce his surname because I feel I will butcher it left, right and centre if I try to pronounce it. But uh, he's a very friendly chap. And I got to meet him and his kind of friends over in Southend, uh, Essex. And is it Essex or is it Kent? I don't know, my geography is horrible. And I had a really good time. It was basically, uh, it could have been four days, but I just went for the Saturday and Sunday. And it was just sit and play games. I knew no one there. Absolutely no one there. Well, tell a lie, I recognised a couple of faces from conventions, but that was about it. Other than that, I just pretty much knew no one there. This was complete, never met you before, you've been pretty friendly on chat, I'm going to go to you and play games. This should be a laugh. And it was. I had a really good time, actually. I hope um, next time he does one, probably in the summer, I'd certainly like to go to the next one, because, for starters, everybody there just sat down and enjoyed games, nobody judged on people's opinion or anything. Uh, the games that we had on offer were very wide-ranging, and I'm not just saying they're all games I enjoy. I'm saying that whatever taste you have, there was probably a game for it. Well, with the exception of Splatter games, but who cares? And it was just really cool. We played a lot of cool games, some new titles, which I want to go over in just a second. But all in all, I had a really great time, and I cannot wait for the next one. So thank you, Alex, for that. In terms of what I played, and this one is the 
highlight, I think, of the weekend. This was a brand new thing. I only knew whispers about it. I'd seen, like, the box. I knew what the concept was. But other than that, I'd not tried it, not really bothered to look into it, because I didn't want to get spoilers. Because for something like this, you don't want spoilers. And that's the Unlock series that Space Cowboys are now releasing. Basically, everybody's got onto this whole thing of the escape room style of games. I mean, I don't know what it is. As soon as a trend starts, everybody wants to get on that bandwagon. Because you've got the escape rooms, the little mini ones that have come out. You've got the big ones that people host. You've got exits, which are kind of like the cheap self-destruction ones that Thames and Cosmos are doing. And you've also got Unlock, which Space Cowboys are doing, which feels much in the same vein as Time Stories, in the way that the card system works in a clever way. But we had a little mini tournament there. Well, I say mini tournament, I don't actually know who won it. But we basically sat down in groups, different groups, and played through all three of the scenarios in different orders. And, well, actually, we all had to do at least one and two, and then we moved on to three. But, you know, that's a difficulty thing. And they were really good fun. I didn't think I would enjoy it as much as I did. Because I like these kind of, you know, deduction puzzle games now and again. But it's not my typical genre I go for. But these were just really cool. I loved how clever the card system works. How the map is laid out for you and you have to look very carefully for the clues and some cards combine together to tell you which card you need to look at for for the next part of the story. It just flowed really nicely and did test the brain. You get three scenarios in the box and the first one to do with finding out a chemical formula is pretty easy. I mean, a child could pretty much get you through that one. The second one is a sort of mad scientist, like, save the world type thing. That's more standard difficulty. You know, that was a bit of a challenge, but not too difficult. And then the third one, I swear, was created by a guy from Mensa. This one has you shipwrecked on an island, and your group is split up into two parties, and you can't communicate until you solve a puzzle on each side that allows you to communicate. That in itself is not only fantastic creative design, I give Space Cowboys and the designers props for that. That was really cool. But, oh, blimey, the difficulty of that one. It was hard enough just... I mean, it wasn't actually too difficult to get to the point of communicating with each other. But even when you do that, you basically have to shout stuff to each other in order to, you know, get the door combinations to begin with and then also to, you know, so you can actually meet up in the same areas. And even once you've done that, the puzzles after that, my god, they overestimate people's intelligence. Or I'm just thick, I don't know. But, oh, blimey, some of those later puzzles in that scenario are just difficult. But, you know, we we got the first one done with plenty of time to spare. We got the second one done with plenty of time to spare. And the third one, we ran out of time, but we eventually got it by just carrying on with the app. And, whew, I have to give props. The puzzles in this are very well designed. There's some really good creative thinking that goes into this. And the only slight flaw is that once you've played it, you can't play it again. It doesn't self-nuke, but you know the story. You know the puzzles. So unless you come back to it in a year's time, you're going to struggle to be able to play it ever again. You'd have to like keep shtum every time you're flipping over cards and that. And that just won't be as fun anymore. But you do have the advantage that you can either A get people you know to play it and watch, that's quite fun to do, or you can sell it on, because at the end of the day you don't destroy the cards, just put them back in the shuffled state, and there you go, easy. But I found these to be really solid, enough so that I'm going to get future unlocked games. I'm obviously not going to buy these three again, but if future ones come out, more scenarios, I hope to get them as review copies, I'll review them, I'll try them, I think I'll really like what they're doing. I think Space Cowboys have kind of got this 
card, this clever card play thing down to a T now. They did it with Time Stories. They're doing it with Unlock. There's just something about the way that they can do everything without the use of a board that just works. You know, they're really doing it. They're knocking it out of the park lately, I've got to admit. They're rising up the ranks so far in my listing of decent publishers. They really are. Another new game I played, which I kind of enjoyed. It was more that I enjoyed it because I was just interacting with the players and kind of taking the mick, you know, sort of hamming it up slightly. But I did think it was a little flawed, and that was Jupiter Rescue. This is a co-op by Twilight Creations. Now, Twilight Creations uh, are the ones who did things like zombies, you know, with all the exclamation marks, and some other really cheap-looking games. And this one's no exception. This one just looks cheap. I mean, you've got these horrific-looking miniatures for the uh, robots and humans. You've got fairly basic artwork, fairly basic uh, components. You know, they're cheap and cheerful. That's kind of how they do it. From a co-op perspective, it's quite a tough game as long as you're playing on hard difficulty like we were. And, you know, play it on anything easier and it's a little bit too simple. And essentially you have got to get all these colonists off, colonists, these humans off a space station before all these nasty creepy monster things come up, spread around and basically kill so many of them that you lose the game. But how you move on this ship just feels very restrictive. I mean, you, you have action points to do certain things, but when you're moving colonists, you kind of have to move them one space at a time and, you know, they have to, because the area is so tight, they almost have to sort of conga dance out of the area in order to get to your space pod to get out. It's kind of weird, but, you know, some aspects of it are still pretty good. I mean, I like the fact that it is a challenge. You do have to work together. There's good interaction with the other players because you you can trade items around and you can help each other out and stuff, you know, so there's the good element of co-op there, but... I felt that it kind of drags on a little bit. It does take a little while to get everything sorted. And I don't know, maybe it was just the look of the game, but I wasn't getting into it as much as I would normally for a co-op game. It's not that I wouldn't play it again. I sort of think of it as, okay, it's generally okay. I don't think it's great or good, but I don't think it's bad either. It's a simple design. It's a tough challenge. It's Cirrocene as a component upgrade, but generally it works pretty well. I believe those were the two new ones I played. I mean, there were some variants of other ones that I hadn't done fully or as much before. We played a couple of games of Alien Legendary with the expansion. I've already reviewed that one. I really, really like it. And I got to show off the two new scenarios, of which Alex has proven that um, he has a habit of dying within the first three to four rounds, usually by way of chestburster, and, you know, ends up being moral support from that point forward, you know. Sorry, but it had to be said. I thought it was quite funny. Other games included the Resistance Avalon, which was very different from other games I'd played of it. I've normally played Resistance Avalon with the special characters, and that's about it. You know, just put in the fixed set of characters, and there you go. This one was a bit different, which threw me off a little bit at first. Essentially, they... I don't know whether it's an official variant, or it's just one that they use personally, or whether it's from Board Game Geek, but this one had you randomise the special characters... So you didn't always have each one in the deck. Now, I think you had to be specific about having at least one of Merlin and Morgana, as well as Percival or something, I can't remember. But all the other ones, they may be in the game, they may not. You might just have generic people, the special ones might be around. You have to go through the whole talking spiel in case they're around. 
but they might not be. That's really cool. It took me a little bit to get used to that, but I found that really interesting because now you've got that extra hidden uncertainty of, you know, someone says that they're this character or someone could be that character, but are they actually in the game or not? And I ended up being Morgana. So I think my, you know, the way that I try to remember it off the top of my head, you know, the way the role works is that, you know, when Percival is looking out for Merlin and Morgana, you put your thumb up as well and one of you is bad and knows everything. So one of you is Merlin and knows every you bad person and one of you is Morgana and knows all the bad people as well. Now, apparently, I didn't know if Merlin was in the game or not. I thought I was just by myself, but I worked out who Percival was. He was the bloke sitting next to me. I didn't know where Merlin was. I didn't know if he was in the game or not, but that fear of like, is he there? And does he know that I'm a bad person, the one who's like constantly rooting me out, or is he just like out for my blood? It was really cool. And, oh, that was such a fun game. Everybody got into it. Everybody was vocal. Everyone role-played their... Well, actually, some role-played, some didn't. I mean, I always role-play my sort of characters in these games anyway. I get into it. But to be fair, people say I'm quite vocal in these games. Like, I really get into it. Blimey, these people put me to shame. You know, I was actually relatively reserved compared to a lot of them. But, you know, I think that was partially because I didn't know the meta. Because when you're in a new group then everybody's got their own meta of how they've played previous games, and I didn't know what that was. So I had to kind of ease my way into that first before I could start talking more. But it was great. I had Percival to the side of me, uncertain if I was Merlin or Morgana. I had Alex at the opposite end of the room, literally... He was basically broadcasting me as Jesus. I don't know what I did to spark it. I mean, all I did was fake uh, succeeding in the first mission. Um, yeah, so I, I succeeded instead of failed. And since then, I just ended up getting, I think it was something I said or something that made sense. And he was praising me as the ivory tower of the resistance or something. You know, I, I could do no wrong. And he wasn't even a bad guy. He was on the good side. So I basically just had him wrapped around my little finger. So when it got to the end of the game and the bad guys won, whoo, I don't think he wants me to ever play resistance with him ever again. <laughs> yeah, in a good way. There was no arguing. But yeah, I think it's kind of like, I'm going to remember this. And next time, you will, I will end you. He <laughs> very much was like that. He even carried forward into, uh, the next game we played, Nosferatu, which, you know, has the, like, who's the vampire? Who do we need to stake here? And it didn't matter if I was a vampire or not. It was a case of, if we give him the stake, he's killing me regardless, you know, <laughs> he's not forgiving me for that resistance game. It was a great laugh, but, you know, and it's stuff like that that made me realize, yes, I'm, next time this gets arranged, I want to go back. Maybe for longer take a day or two off work and go back for longer, but, you know, I really, really enjoyed it. Though I might need to take an extra pair of lungs, because there's a lot of smokers, um, but that's just me. And, yeah, generally, really good fun, and those were some of the new games I played, some of the experiences I had there, but I need to get on with the rest of this episode, and that is a slightly more controversial topic. Now, this is more of an opinion thing. This is not like, oh, you must not do this or anything like that. This is just my thoughts on the matter because it's becoming more and more of a problem these days with Kickstarter around. There is a practice that goes on where people will... Now, this not necessarily be the intention, but it might just be a case of, well, I thought it was going to be awesome and it's not. But they'll buy a game off Kickstarter. 
And it will be the hotness. It will be something that's height beyond belief. So we're talking the scythes, the blood rages, the rising sun, the, you know, Conans, you know, those sort of things. And they're generally the big miniature games because they're worth a lot of money. Now people will, you know, spend money and reserve one of these on Kickstarter. They'll back it and they'll get the game. The game will already be expensive. It'll be like $100, $200. It will be hugely expensive because it will have so much in it. But then what happens is whether they deliberately did this or whether it's because they played the game once and decided, nah, it's not for me, they will then sell it on the secondary market for ridiculous amounts of money. They will inflate the price by over 100%, if not more, because of the Kickstarter exclusives. Now, I hate Kickstarter exclusives. Uh, I posted the video up recently about like the board game 101 thing. Check it out. It's on my site. You should really, it was a good laugh. But I really actually started to think that maybe I shouldn't have gone with my previous choice. I should have gone with Kickstarter exclusives because I hate them with a passion. I don't like this idea that we give us loads of money now so you can have something that is so fundamental that nobody else has it and they will feel like a lesser person for not owning it. And it also inflates the price like crazy. I mean, Cool Mini are not done this for ages. They'll bring in all these exclusive minis, which you really don't necessarily need. But my God, as soon as you sell it on the secondary market, people just pay the ends of the earth for this sort of thing. They'll go mad for these exclusives. And Gloomhaven's one of the biggest ones lately. You know, that one when it didn't have enough copies around, you know, it was itself for about 100, 100 quid. And people were selling it for like 200 plus. At Aircod, somebody was selling a copy for like 230 or something like that. Seriously? Dude, it's a board game. I mean, this is not... You're supposed to be just selling games that you don't feel like so that other people can enjoy them. This is not meant to be a profit-making business. You know, we're not financing your secondary income by buying your games. And I feel that a lot of people on these Kickstarters, because, you know, if you've tried the game and it wasn't for you, then sell it on. But don't inflate the price like crazy because you didn't pay that much for your copy of the game and now you've opened it. You have handled the components. Your components have already seen some degree of wear and tear. And you dare, you have the gall to inflate the price by over 100%. Seriously? No. And you know that some people have done it deliberately just to make a profit because they'll sell the game on and it'll be in shrink wrap. So they haven't actually opened the game. They literally just... Blood Rage was one of the worst ones for this. So many people bought Blood Rage with all the extras just so they could sell it on for loads and make a profit. That is essentially what scalping is. You are essentially ripping off the secondary market for people who thought, I didn't really want to back it because I don't know if it would be good or not. You know, they play it safe, which to be fair, you should do. You know, don't back a game just because it's the hotness. See if you want it first. But then to scalp them afterwards by saying, well, you didn't back it then. Oh, well, you know, you can have it, but give me money. That's just not right. I just personally can't see myself doing that. Yeah, Rising Sun has only got a couple of days now before it finishes. And I'm still in two minds whether I want to back it or not. I wasn't the biggest fan of Blood Rage, and this one basically just looks like Blood Rage 2.0 with a bit of negotiation thrown in. But the fact that you have that negotiation factor makes me think that I will enjoy this one more. You know, that whole interaction between all the players. But again, Kickstarter exclusives and what started out as a, not cheap, but, you know, relatively cheap $100 pledge is now, oh, by the way, we've got an expansion that should have been in the base game because we already pre-designed it, therefore give us more $50. 
And oh yeah, if you want a decent board and if you want metal coins, which everybody wants, then give us another $50. So suddenly it's $200 to get like the bare essentials for this game because they essentially cherry-picked aspects out of it and then try to charge you money for it. No, why don't you just up the original pledge and then bring them in the stretch goals or something like that? I mean, an expansion that gives you two more clans? You knew those clans were going in. I mean, I didn't like Scythe for splitting it out beforehand. They did the same thing, but... Here, again, two expansions, sorry, two clans in an expansion that blatantly were pre-designed. You knew they could go in the base game. You knew it would be balanced with the base game. So include them in the base game. You're just basically giving us more boxes we've got to store. And that's one of my biggest bugbears with half of these miniature things. I mean, Conan, the box is big enough for it in general, but that barely fits the contents from the retail version. If you bought most of those extra boxes and expansions, you are filling up entire sections of your shelf devoted to that single game because you can't store these things. Oh, but that's a subtopic anyway. But it just, I don't know, it's, it's not a practice that I want to get into. If I buy one of these games, I want to buy it for what it's worth. And then if I don't like it, I will sell it for what it's worth and not inflate the price by 200% just to make a quick buck. I will certainly not buy anything on Kickstarter with the sole purpose of selling it off. Never. It was, I'm not going to do that. I just cannot see that as morally right. You know, I'd go as far as into that. If you didn't like it and then you want to sell it off, fine. Your choice whether you want to inflate the price to stupid levels. Although, to be honest, if you've already played the game, you should not inflate it beyond the price of new. But to have the... The gall to just buy it and then sell it at a profit? You know, you're not a board game publisher. The board game publisher has already sold you the game. You are just a user of the game. This is not your secondary income stream. It shouldn't work like that. You know, sell it on if you want, but be reasonable. Or better on, be sorry, better than that, just play it. You bought the game. If you're going to buy the game and back it, then play it. You know, don't just sell it off without even trying it. You know, you might have loved the game. You know, or did you buy two copies so that one copy would essentially fund your other copy of the game? If so, then shame. You should not even try that either. It's not a practice I agree with. You can already tell that from listening to this podcast. I just think that this whole scalping thing is getting completely out of hand. Secondhand stalls at bring and buy sales where games are selling for three digit figures because they're like, oh, they're so hard to get and they should be like, no. I mean, come on. I've seen ridiculous things. It's not even just the Kickstarter, actually. It's when anything goes out of print. So, take a great example. The Games Workshop. Recent uh, announcement that Games Workshop were pulling away from Fantasy Flight. Well, guess what that's done on the bring and buy sales? I'm seeing copies of Forbidden Stars and Chaos in the Old World going for stupid amounts of money. And people are buying them. I don't know where everyone's got all this spare cash from, funny enough, but to sell Chaos in the Old World used, you know, used many times, for £90? Seriously? And people pay that for it? Chaos and the Old World is a fantastic game, I love it, and it's staying on my shelf for life, but £90? Jesus. You know, considering the game didn't sell for more than, what, like 40 when it came out? I don't think it was that expensive. It seems mad that people will do this. I mean, I've sold a couple of games recently because of um, future things, like uh, Empires of the Void. I, I had the first edition of that. It's a great game, but I sold it because it was hard to get it to the table, uh, and I was I backed the second edition reprint, which I'm hoping will be better. Now, 
That meant I didn't need the first edition anymore. I had Key to the Universe print and play expansion within it, I'd laminated the boards, you know, I'd put a bit of effort into that game. It was worth more than I was selling it for, but I sold it for what, 30, 35 quid? I think I had to drop it down to 30 before anyone bought it. You know, that's rare. You can't get a copy of that game easily and soon you won't be able to get a copy ever. You know, it's going to be one of those rare ones. But no, I didn't sell it for £80 just because of that. I sold it for what, probably more than what the game was technically worth. I mean, you don't really pay for a print and play expansion, so I just had to factor time and effort to put it in and laminate it and all out. So it probably cost of materials more than anything else. But yeah, I mean, I probably could have sold it for 20 25 You know, it had been played, it had been used, it was in great mint condition, but yeah, it had been used. And then the next day I see the exact same copy being sold for like 40 45 quid. It's like, seriously? Keep the game! I don't know. It's getting a little bit out of hand and I just wish it would stop, but I don't think this is a practice that is going to go away anytime soon. As long as Kickstarter exclusives are a thing, as long as miniature games are a massive deal on Kickstarter, and as long as anything that goes out of print becomes, you know, the most sought-after thing in the world, this sort of practice is going to happen. There are games that I wish I could own, you know, I want the Pillars of the Earth expansion badly, I really want that. But if someone says, I'll give it to you, but you've got to pay me £100 for it, I'll tell them where to go. Because it's just not going to happen. I'm not going to pay stupid amounts of money for it just because it's out of print. You know, there's other things in life I kind of need to spend money on, you know, things called mortgages. You know, they're quite useful things. And that's just me. I'm sure a lot of you have got kids that you've got to fund 24-7, which probably sucks up every last spare change you've got. Yeah, there's no need to pay that much for some of these games, you know, and there's too many games out that are great anyway. There's so many that come out that I don't get a chance to play every single one of them. Nor does anybody, not even Tom Vassell, the Dice Tower, anybody. And if you've got all these games available, you don't have to have these extremely rare out-of-print ones or these hyped-up miniature games, you know, just because people say they're good. You know, buy what you can afford, fair enough. If you've got all the disposable cash, then this doesn't matter. You'll pay whatever you want for any game. But there's so many out there that you can enjoy, you should be content with what you've already got. If I never see the Pillars of the Earth expansion, it'll be a sad day, you know, I wish I had it, but I've got Pillars of the Earth. And I've got it pimped out with the new Stonemaier treasure chest components. I love the game. I will enjoy playing it forever. But if I never find the expansion, big deal. It doesn't destroy the game. I don't have to have it. And I certainly don't need to pay scalped prices for it just because it's hard to find. So that's my two cents on the matter, or two pence, depends which area of the world you're from. But it's just not something I'm a huge fan of, it's not going away, I'm sure everyone's got different opinions on it, but that's a good thing. I'd be interested to know what people's opinions on scalping as a practice are. You know, do you do it yourself but don't see it as a bad thing? Do you see it around but don't think it's a bad thing? Or do you equally agree that this is something that needs to stop? Who knows? You know, I leave that down to you. That's the whole point of opinion and debating. I love it. So, anyway, that's it from me. I gotta get over to the gym and then I'm out for curry and drinks tonight. Yep, turning 33 in two days' time, I already feel old. Yes, I know, I'm a young into most people, but yep, I can feel the years creeping up already. But I get to enjoy my favourite curry house with as much wine as I can drink, so, uh, well, 
I know wine's a bit weird with curry, but to be fair, the place is pretty devoid of cider. So it's just not going to work. Anyway, I better get on with the rest of my day. So thanks a lot. I will see you guys on the next show. And just as a last minute thing, if you want to speak to me or if you want to, you know, shake hands and that, I will be at StabCon for Friday, Saturday and Sunday next week at Southampton Jury Inn. It's a great little mini convention to play games. I'll be there and I hope to see some of you there as well. So take care and remember, it's only a game. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about The Broken Meeple, there are various sources for you to choose from. You can check out the written review blog at brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. You can find me on Facebook at The Broken Meeple. You can find me also on Twitter at The Broken Meeple. If you live anywhere near Portsmouth, Hampshire, you can come to one of our board gaming clubs. Search for Portsmouth on board on meetup.com or Facebook and check out our pages. Also, check out my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash thebrokenmeeple and pledge anything you can to help me get back into video and improve this experience for you. Thanks for listening, take care, enjoy playing games, and from me and everyone else at the Dice Tower, have fun gaming. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like Blue Peg, Pink Peg, or The Snakes Cast. Find out more at dicetowernetwork.com.